This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. I love a segment where we talk about things that people can, that you that, that we can prevent them from doing. Yeah. Five mistakes. Pitfalls. Yeah, pitfalls, yeah. mistakes, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and this is a, a segment that's about what not to do mm-hmm. when you're taking charge of your finances. So the bells have been going off. You've been hitting yourself in the head with the hammer going, okay, i got to do something. i got to do it now. This is what you don't do. And often is, these are the things that you think you should. Right. And somebody right will say, oh, yeah, of course you should do that. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, go for it. We're saying, well, stop. Think twice about it. Uh, at least hear what we have to say about a lot of years of client experience. These are things that people often say, oh, I wish I hadn't done that because it complicates things later and doesn't generally solve the problem. Okay. What, let's, let's talk about a couple of the, the tactics that we consider mm-hmm. uh, that we possibly shouldn't. Yeah. So number one, that's the most heartbreaking thing that I ever see, and I see it less now than it a few years ago, but still it happens, is when people are facing a debt problem and they've saved RRSPs their whole life, maybe they've got a whole big nest egg set up there in RRSPs, quite often they'll start to cash in those RRSPs to pay their debts. And you say one of the things that we need to do individually is, you know, have a savings, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Save some money, put some money aside, but... I mean, it's important to do that into an RRSP for sure, Mm -hmm. but that's not what you're talking about. No. So what I'm saying is, you know, not the saving money part. That's the great part, but it's saying, oh my God, I've got these credit card bills. I've got this line of credit. Something's happened. I'm not able to pay it off. And often the collection agent or even the bank's financial advisor will say, oh, you've got all this money sitting in RRSPs, don't you? Oh yeah, I do. Well, why don't you cash that in to pay us off? And you know, then that'll make us go away. And they're right, it will make the debt go away, but my God, what the person's done there, it's a double whammy. So first off, what they're not aware of, and often what they're not told, is that they could never be forced to cash in those RRSPs. So even if they had to file for a bankruptcy, the only thing they would have to lose out of those RRSPs is just whatever they've contributed in the last 12 months. And most of the time, if you're in a debt situation, you stop contributing to your RRSPs. So the vast majority of cases, 100% dollar for dollar of RRSPs could be retained even if the person had to file for bankruptcy. But if they don't know that, there's no protection. If you cash in your RRSPs yourself and hand the money over to your creditors, you've just given them access to an asset that they should never have been entitled to. If you think about it like a company pension plan, most people would know you can't suddenly cash in your pension plan to deal with a short-term debt. And why would you want to? Obviously, you want that to live for the rest of your life. Well, RRSPs, you should think about them exactly the same way. Even though you have the option to cash them in, I've never seen a situation where it's the right answer to do so to pay debts. And where I said there's a double whammy, so, you know, the first part of it is you don't have the money there for retirement, and oftentimes it doesn't solve the debt problem anyway because you've still got some issues there. But the second part of that is the income tax hit. Yeah. So a lot of people don't plan on this, that when they cash in the RRSPs, they're not going to get 100% of what they requested. The government or the the financial institution is going to hold back some portion 
for taxes, but it's often not enough. So at the end of that tax year, maybe the person's cashed in their RSPs, they paid off their debt, they're feeling pretty good, and then suddenly they get hit with a big tax bill from the government because they got to pay tax on the money they pulled in from those RRSPs. Yeah, really important to remember. Yeah, so if you're if any of the listeners, if you're hearing anybody in your personal life that's saying, oh, I'm going to cash in RRSPs to pay this off, you know, not saying don't do it, but don't do it unless you understand fully all the situations, all the protections, and it'd be news to me if there's a good situation where you should be cashing in RRSPs. I just haven't seen it. Now, the next one, it's it seems, again, like a natural thing to do. Not mm-hmm. a, and not, It's not about asking somebody to co-sign the loan. It's about being asked to co-sign the loan. Mm-hmm. If I'm able to help you in some way, absolutely, I'm going to do that. Whatever you need. And I'm just co-signing, right? Yeah. I mean, what harm? how much harm can that cause? But I know that you have a, a very strong position on this. Yeah, and, th- and this comes just from years of having people in my office and you know, going down the list of debts and saying, yeah, I can help you with X, Y, Z, so on and so forth. I can help you with all these debts. But then they tell me, oh, well, you know, my mom, my dad, my brother, somebody um, co-signed on this debt. And what does that mean for the person who co-signed? Well, what it means is when I tell these other people they're not getting paid back, that's the end of the story. They've got no other pockets to dig into. But when I tell the person who you've co-signed the debt with your parents for, well, what they're going to do is go to your parents and say, okay, we want 100% of the debt back right away. The person has breached the terms of the agreement. So almost always the discussion that I have with individuals is, well, the person who co-signed, they never thought they'd have to pay off 100% of the debt. They thought at most it's 50-50. Well, no, it's 100% of the debt. It's joint and several liability. And the second part too is they didn't think they'd have to pay anything ever. They just did this, you know, as a matter of trying to help you out, to help you get approved. You intended on making all the payments, but you know what? Life can intervene. Mm -hmm. So if you want to talk about difficult emotional situations Mm -hmm. when you're letting somebody down that you have to deal with for the rest of your life where you've asked them to co-sign, if you ever have to deal with your other debts, they're going to be left paying off 100% of that debt. So in every experience that I've seen, the person, if they had not gotten that co-signer, it might have forced them to actually take steps earlier to deal with their financial situation, but they would have been better off having done that because it would have only involved them. It wouldn't have involved other family members or friends or people who put their name on the dotted line. Yeah, regardless of the action that they take, whether it's a bankruptcy or consumer proposal, it's not going to include them. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, this is just another great reason why uh, you want to make that appointment, go see somebody at Sands and Associates, yeah. any of the staff to say, okay, this is my situation, what should I do? Yeah, and even if you're thinking about getting a co-signed debt, you know, you can come in and ask us about that as well. We can tell you examples where, okay, be aware if this happens, so on and so forth. Eyes wide open, make whatever decision you want. But sometimes you can be really pushed into there. And sometimes it's at the 11th hour, you're ready to sign off on the financing. And the bank manager says, oh, you know what? We've just got one extra hurdle. We actually need to get a co-signer on this. And you haven't thought about it, but you don't want this to go sideways. So it's the last thing you do is to put the co-signer on. And it's the most important, impactful thing that you did the whole time. Yeah. Okay, let's go into a a couple of more um, things that people shouldn't do, but they're almost given an opportunity to, and it kind of makes sense. So at least I'm doing something. Yeah. That minimum payment thing. Oh, exactly. The minimum payment trap, the minimum payment hamster wheel, whatever you want (laughs) to call it. Um, But you hit it right in the head there, Elaine. You're doing something. You're paying minimums each month. And you're being rewarded for it because your credit rating is probably great. You know, you go online, free credit score. Oh my God, it's good. I'm making my minimum payments every month. Never mind that you got twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars of debt, but your credit score looks great because you're not delinquent. And the credit card companies actually suggesting, right? Mm-hmm. You, if you make this, yeah. you know, 
will we'll just continue on. Oh, yeah. So it's not like I'm making up the number that I'm paying. No. That $10 or oh. $15 or whatever it is. Yeah, no, exactly. And it, it's that absurdly low that some of the major banks, well, you might be paying $200 on your minimum, but $10 of that is what's actually reducing the principal. The rest is interest, charges, things like that. Um, so the numbers get scary really quickly. You know, if it was 18% interest, which is pretty standard, even if it was a debt of $1,000, you can be looking at a 10-year calendar to pay that off just at the minimums. And you can imagine how many times you would have paid the debt over, probably four or five times over, you would pay that $1,000 over a 10-year period. It's just not right that they state that on there. I know they've taken measures to explain that, that yeah, if you pay this, it'll take you Mm -hmm. this period of time to pay it off. I get that. And, And kudos to them for doing that. But they should actually just I mean, it just, it's just not right. Yeah. Well, what'll be interesting, and let's all stay tuned, is what Quebec's doing. So we talked about that a few months ago there. I remember, yeah. Quebec is saying, well, the minimum payment has to be 5% of the statement balance. Right. So that's a lot more than 10 bucks. So 5%, that turns credit cards into a 20-month payment plan. I'm okay with that, a 20-month payment plan for credit cards. I'm not okay with a 20-year or a 200-year. Right. Um, so I think it'll be fascinating as that gets implemented in Quebec and see how things change or not. Do you remember the date that that was being implemented? I, or I, I, And then there's a period of time that we have to wait and see how it yeah, all Yeah, it was early up. August was when it came into effect here. Okay, so, yeah. so this time next year, we'll be able to talk a little bit further about it and see what kind of impact it did have, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> they'll either be really happy to tell us or not share anything about it. Well, who knows, but I don't see it as a negative thing, but I can imagine some people are going to have a shock if they thought new credit cards will work the same as the old and the new ones are requiring one-twentieth of the balance every month as opposed to one one-thousandth or whatever it works oh, out to good be. good point. Right? See, I yeah. hadn't thought about that. I was thinking it would be a universal, everybody falls under this category, but that wouldn't be the case. Yeah, there's going to be transitions. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, now, there's a lot of good, well-meaning people out there in the world that want to help you with your dad and help you figure things out. And uh, and then there's some people who are, you know, sort of ready to take advantage of you. Yeah. And I think, I think it's an important point about where you're getting your advice from and your information from. Yeah. So, it, you know, my, my doctor says, you know, his biggest rival is Dr. Google. And it's not, <laughs> not a good rival to have. You know, you, I you use st- Dr. Google, by the uh-huh. way. <laughs> you start with blurred vision and suddenly everyone's dying the next day type, type of right. thing. Uh, a lot of the same can happen with your debt. So you really got to be careful. You know, you can go down rabbit holes online, message boards, things, and you'll find some truth, but a whole lot of obfuscation there. But also, even if you're sitting across from a professional you really need to make sure it's the right professional to help you and they don't have a conflict of interest. If you're dealing with a credit counselor that's funded by the banks, which not-for-profit credit counselors are funded by the banks, their objectives are completely different than yours. Their objective is to get 100% of the debt back and they can't reduce the amounts that you owe. When you sit down with a trustee, my objective as an officer of the court is to explain the rules to you, make sure you stay within those rules, but I've got no beholdenness to anybody to try to get you to pay back more or less or whatever. I want to work out something that's fair and reasonable as an impartial, unbiased professional. So if you're dealing with a trustee, you've got that protection, that code of ethics, all that expertise. If you're dealing with a credit counselor or a bank employee uh, or even a collection agent, sometimes collection agents will play good cop, bad cop and really try to, to give you the impression they're helping you out, whereas usually they're giving you counseling that makes them way better off at your expense. You're not doing the right thing for you or for your overall situation. 
I think the, the one, of, and the last one is, I think, sometimes the most important one, is that we talk about all the physical things and the, the, the formal things that one can do when you get yourself into debt and you can take action and you can do this and this is da-da-da-da-da. But the emotional toll mm-hmm. that it takes on folks is sometimes unbearable. And yeah. I, know that y- I know that you see that when people come in your door mm-hmm. to try to figure out um, what their next step should be and... It must be extraordinary when you get to help them and they they realize how much stress they've actually put themselves under. Yeah, so I think that the mistake is just, you know, carrying everything themselves, not reaching out for help. And yeah, I see people coming into the first meeting, they don't know what they're walking into, they're hunched over, you can tell their heartbeat's going through the roof type of thing. But then as soon as they can understand, okay, there's a professional here to help you, you can now start to unload some of these things that you've been carrying. The transformation is just remarkable. People can suddenly get better jobs, earn more money, have better personal relationships, because they didn't realize exactly how much being in debt is holding them back. Something that's always there on your mind, you're not sleeping and you're not eating, you just feel hopeless about it. Um, I have nobody leaving my meetings with a hopeless sense. They've got an idea of what they can do to move forward. Sometimes it's a little bit of work, sometimes it's easier than others, but to at least have a plan and to have someone working with you, that can make all the difference in eliminating the debt stress. There also seems to be this thing that we, we should automatically know how to do this stuff. Mm. And we, we didn't get the, you know, unless you took unless you took economics or you studied it, you, yeah. don't, you don't get all the information. Well, and Elaine, I took economics and I took accounting and all that. I had no idea about this until I became a trustee. So the average person, I don't think it's a failing. They don't know this. They just don't. If you want to book your confidential free debt consultation, call Sands and Associates. Here's their number, 1-800-661-3030, or go to their website, chock full of good information. It's sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. And speaking of debt, let's talk about bankruptcy. Everything you wanted to know about bankruptcy, but maybe we're afraid to ask? When it comes to contemplating bankruptcy for folks, it's pretty challenging financial time for them. Well, Blair's got uh, some great ideas on how to help individuals. And Blair, you've talked before that personal bankruptcy really isn't anywhere as bad as people often fear it may be. Can you, can you talk more about that? Oh, certainly, Elaine. It was one of the big surprises for me as I became a trustee is just about everything that I thought I knew about bankruptcy. And, you know, I had went to business school, I'd studied a lot of accounting. Uh, it actually wasn't correct when you actually got down to the law and how it impacts Canadians, um, you know, on, on a base, on, a, on an individual basis. It's a really emotionally charged, a very personal topic uh, when people start to consider, oh my gosh, I'm in debt and I can't pay things back. And people often have a really knee-jerk negative reaction but the reality is that bankruptcy, it's really all about a fresh start. It's not meant to be an overly punitive. It's not a public shaming. It's not a situation where you lose everything you've ever had in your life. <clears throat> it's a chance for you to literally turn things around and start again fresh. So what, you know, an amazing gift for somebody to have. They can just start again without being burdened by debt. Um, and it's something that's more common than you think. Odds are someone that you know may have filed for, for bankruptcy in their life or may well in the future um, because it's about four point six out of every thousand adult Canadians uh, filed for insolvency in calendar year 2019. So just under, you know, a half of a person out of 100. And if you think over a 20, 30 or 40 year working period, you know, it could be anywhere from 10 to 20 percent of the working population is going to struggle with debt. It's potentially going to have to investigate uh, a bankruptcy filing. And it's you're so much better off being forearmed with some knowledge about that remedy. 
Okay. Well, let's start at the very beginning then. Can you explain what is bankruptcy? Well, bankruptcy is a federally legislated legal process, and that's a you know a mouthful of words, but it means it's something enshrined in law from the federal government, and it gives you the ability to get rid of your debts and to get protection from your creditors in the event you can no longer meet your financial obligations. So the wording in the law, it's a fresh start for the honest but unfortunate debtor. So who's eligible to declare bankruptcy, Blair? Well, this is usually a surprise for people. You don't have to be millions of dollars in debt, you know, even tens of thousands of dollars in debt. Um, the eligibility for bankruptcy in Canada is you have to owe more than $1,000, which is a very low bar. And generally, nobody files bankruptcy for just $1,000, but sometimes people do for five to 10 or definitely for $15,000. But the minimum is just $1,000 of debt. And the second part is you have to be considered insolvent. And what insolvent means is that either you've stopped paying your debts because you're unable to pay your debts, or if you were to sell all of your property, it just wouldn't be enough to pay the debts uh, that you've accumulated. So if somebody is sitting with a house that's worth millions of dollars and they've got, you know, $10,000 of debt, they're not insolvent. But the average person that we see who maybe don't, doesn't have a whole lot of assets and is carrying ten to $15,000 of credit card debt and really struggling to make the payments, they absolutely would meet the test of being insolvent. So uh, you've noted here in this topic that we're that we're covering in terms of bankruptcy and all the ins and outs of it that lots of people mistake being insolvent as meaning the same as being bankrupt but that is the case or it isn't it isn't the case, and that's a really good distinction for, for people to have because a lot of people will pass through the state of insolvency uh, at various points in their life, and they, they might not know it. It might be the case, you know, they've just financed a car, the car is worth less than what they owe on it. So, you know, theoretically, they've got debts that exceed their assets, but you're only bankrupt if you take the steps to formally file a bankruptcy. It's a specific legal proceeding and undertaking, so you have to be insolvent to file a bankruptcy, but just because you're insolvent doesn't mean that you're automatically bankrupt or have to take that next step. It's a very separate, formal, defined process. Okay. So can we move on to what kind of debts get covered in a personal bankruptcy? Yeah. And that one, it's one of the better answers that I'm happy to give is it's just about everything. It's just about every debt that you could accumulate under the sun can be included dealt with, and then eventually discharged as part of a bankruptcy proceeding. So just going through a pretty quick list here, but your consumer and business debts, whether it's credit cards, lines of credit, overdrafts, payday loans, any type of standard consumer or business debts can be discharged or, again, eliminated as part of a bankruptcy. Uh, income tax debts, a lot of people are really surprised to learn that a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal can eliminate and reduce amounts to government, including income tax debt, uh, including amounts for student loans, uh, and also including ICBC debts. Uh, bankruptcy can deal with personal debts if you borrowed money from whether it's a friend or a family member. Uh, legally, bankruptcy can assist you uh, in dealing with that commitment as well. Uh, and then finally, uh, if you have debts for a business where you've signed a personal guarantee. So many times, if you have an incorporated business, the person who is the director of that corporation, they're required to sign on the dotted line, whether it's for a lease or an equipment financing or something else like that. And if the business fails, sometimes it drags them down as well because they personally guaranteed that debt. All of those debts you could get relief from um, if you chose to file for personal bankruptcy. So before we go to the next question, uh, if we're already describing you or someone you know and you want to support them to take some action, uh, I'll give, 
going to give you the number for Sands and Associates. It's 1-800-661-3030. Your best next step, sit down and talk to somebody and see if this is your, if this is the thing you should be doing or is there something else you can be doing. Uh, Sands and Associates, all the staff are so knowledgeable about next steps for you. So let's talk about, Blair, the frequently asked questions uh, that you get asked uh, when it comes to the bankruptcy process. Yeah, so the first one a lot of people ask is, how do you actually file for personal bankruptcy? And there's two ways for this to happen. And one is about 999 out of 1,000 cases, and the other is 1 in 1,000. So the 999 out of 1,000 cases is it's a voluntary filing. So generally, an individual would meet with a trustee, would investigate their options, would decide that bankruptcy is the option for them, and they would file documents with the trustee on a voluntary basis. They choose the date, the time, whether to proceed. No one is forced to do anything. That's the vast majority of cases, and I've only ever filed voluntary bankruptcies in nearly 15 years as a trustee. I don't know if my firm has even done any involuntary bankruptcies, but on the one in a thousand side of it, there is the potential provision that uh, if someone didn't file for bankruptcy and their creditors, you know, wanted to hire a lawyer and petition them into bankruptcy to essentially force them into that proceeding, that could happen. Uh, But again, it generally doesn't happen for the most part. It's a voluntary assignment that someone makes. There's a small uh, percentage of folks where it could be involuntary, but again, something I've really never seen in my career. But there's only one professional uh, in this country that can actually facilitate a bankruptcy for you. And that's exactly right, Elaine. So you don't need to go to a bankruptcy lawyer or attorney or anything like that. You don't need an informal advisor or an accountant. All you need to do is to see directly a licensed insolvency trustee, formerly called bankruptcy trustees, the same person, just different job title. Uh, We're the only individuals that can actually help someone filing a bankruptcy. And as anyone who listens to the show knows, and as anybody new will learn, uh, it's a free consultation that's confidential when you're dealing with a trustee. So you don't need any other middlemen or any referrals. You just come straight to a trustee. So does, do, the, do my creditors at that point stop harassing me once I've declared, or when does that stop? Absolutely, Elaine. As soon as you sign the documents uh, to file the bankruptcy, your trustee's next job is to file that with the government. It all happens electronically, often in the same meeting. And from there, at that moment, all collection activities against you have to cease. So, you know, as soon as anyone is aware of the bankruptcy and sometimes as soon as we sign the documents, uh, the person gets the next collection call. If they're in my office, I'm answering the phone and saying, I'm now the trustee appointed. Please don't call this person anymore. You'll have my documents within a couple of days here. Um, And for anybody that files for bankruptcy, all their creditors have to be notified uh, within a five day period. And from there, it's illegal for any creditors to call them take them to court, harass them, demand any payments, seize anything from them, they get that relief, that sense that they can restructure, that they you know, don't have the sword hanging over their head anymore. They've got the trustee protecting them. So you get the relief right away once you file the bankruptcy. And that's called a stay of proceedings. So it's a technical legal term. But if you do come across it, it means that any proceedings against you, like if someone's suing you to take your wages or seize your assets, all those have to stop. And in the court's terms, they call that being stayed. So the state of proceedings is what's really important, and it gives you that protection the day that you file. So what happens to all my stuff at this point, Blair? All the things that I've accumulated, whether that's put me into debt or not, but or just by living, like what happens to all of my assets? Mm-hmm. Another great question. A lot of people think you lose everything when you file for bankruptcy, and theoretically, okay, you're surrendering assets to your trustee, 
But for the most part, most people keep all of their assets when they go through a bankruptcy proceeding and nobody loses everything. So what happens is in each province, there's various exemptions where the government says, regardless of what federal law might say about bankruptcy, we think people within this province need a certain base level of assets to reestablish themselves that could never be taken from them. So in the province of BC, there's exemptions for household goods and clothing. So I've never once seized furniture or God forbid clothing from any of my clients. That's all fully exempt. Um, A vehicle can be exempt as well. Um, Even equity in your home, depending on where you live in the province, you're allowed to have an exemption for your home equity. So it's far from a certainty that if someone files for bankruptcy, they lose their home. For the most part, they do keep it. Uh, You're allowed exemptions for your RRSPs, for any work tools that you might have, and even any life insurance policies or company pension plans. uh, Those are almost always exempt as well. So for the most part, when people go through bankruptcy, they get rid of all of their debt. And if they had a whole lot of assets that could be sold to pay debt, usually they've sold them in advance. So they don't have, you know, the um, $50,000 investment account. That's been gone before. So for the most part, when people file a bankruptcy, they do keep their assets. Okay. And how long does the whole process usually take? Well, sooner than you think, for 80% of people, bankruptcy is over in nine months. So it's not the six or seven years that most people think about. Literally, from the day you sign those documents, if you've never filed for bankruptcy before and you're considered a low-income individual, bankruptcy runs for a nine-month period, and that's it. At the end of nine months, you're forever and finally discharged from all of those debts. Okay. And I want to, I know, I know we've got a, a few other things in between, uh, from that part to, to the last one, but I really want to ask you this question. If somebody's mm-hmm. considering bankruptcy, Blair, um, or just even just getting advice on dealing with their debt in general, where's the best place to get help at this point? Well, absolutely. The best place to reach out is to contact a licensed insolvency trustee uh, to arrange for a free consultation. It can be done over the phone. It can be done over the Internet or in person these days. Um, Anything that you're facing, the trustee is going to sit down, understand the situation and understand your objectives. Are you trying to repay as much back as possible? Do you need a fresh start of bankruptcy? It's a no obligation, confidential meeting guaranteed. You're going to feel a whole lot better and sleep a whole lot better once you've had that first discussion and you're no longer suffering in silence. And in the last 30 seconds of this piece, I really want you to talk about, Blair, the kind of support that folks at Sands & Associates give someone coming in the door. Oh, absolutely, Elaine. So the, our approach is just because you're in debt, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It often doesn't mean that you've even done anything wrong. Quite often, there are things outside of your control. So we treat everybody as an individual who's worthy of respect, dignity, and empathy. We provide solutions. But what we like to say, and this came from a customer review of ours, is we're debt smart, but with heart. We really do care. We want you to have a great experience of what can be a tough part in your life. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. This is part two of everything you wanted to know about bankruptcy, and maybe you're still a little afraid to ask. Uh, Blair Manton, who happens to be president of British Columbia's largest firm of licensed insolvency trustees, that's Sands & Associates, uh, so focused on debt help services for folks, says many people facing a decision on how to address a debt problem don't have all the information or maybe have misinformation about their options to deal with it. So... We're, we're first going to start just a tiny bit of a recap or a refresher on what it means to file per, personal bankruptcy, Blair. Yeah, thanks, Elaine. So personal bankruptcy, it's a solution. It's intended to get you out of debt, um, to give you hope, to allow you to look towards the future with some optimism rather than being burdened by you know what, what 
you know, different for everybody, but what can be an unmanageable amount of debt. So for some people, it's a few thousand dollars. For some people, it's literally a couple of million dollars. Um, but bankruptcy is your chance um, to discharge your debt, to move forward, to have a fresh start, uh, being unburdened by debt that you've accumulated. What bankruptcy in Canada will do, it's a voluntary process. So you generally don't get forced into bankruptcy. You decide this is the right remedy for you. The situation requires it, and your objectives are to move forward. Um, you sit down, you work with a trustee, and bankruptcy in Canada will help you move forward from just about any kind of debt. So amounts owing to Canada Revenue Agency for income taxes, for GST, uh, if you have employees, employee remittances, um, things like student loans as well. Those are things people think can't be dealt with typically in a bankruptcy, and they can. And then your normal consumer debts, your credit cards, lines of credit, overdrafts, payday loans. When you file for bankruptcy, you're essentially getting a fresh start, putting all of the debt um, in the rearview mirror and moving forward, getting on with your life. Now, my bet is that you talk to so many people, or Sands and Associates certainly talks to so many people, that you've got a list of sort of common questions that people always have around getting the bankruptcy process started. Can you run through some of those? Yeah, I think one of the big questions people have is just, what is the process? You know, what does it take? Is it months long? Is it weeks long, days long? What does it take from if I decide... Um, but I want to investigate the option of bankruptcy. How do I actually make that happen if I choose to do so? And let's spend a bit of time today on, on the steps um, that someone w would go through. Um, so first off, the first step and essentially the most difficult step for a lot of people is just reaching out for help. So I understand the fear of the unknown. A lot of people can feel, um, you know, very ashamed of their situation. You know, even if it was a bunch of factors outside of their control, we often are our own worst critics, our own worst judges, and we often are fearful of reaching out and having someone say, well, gee, that was a silly thing that you did, and you made your situation worse. Um, so sometimes we hesitate in reaching out for help because we're worried that we're going to be judged. Um, but absolutely anybody that's listening to this program or reaches out to Sands and Associates, the opposite of judgment is what you would receive. Um, so you'd receive someone who's going to sit down with you, who's going to empathize, understand, and really treat you with dignity, respect, and empathy, which might be quite different than what you're getting if you're dealing with collectors all day long who really just want to be paid. So the first step in the process is you connect with a licensed insolvency trustee. You sit down for that free consultation. Um, it's typically done either remotely these days with COVID or in our offices. Uh, we've got locations all over the province, and it often starts with just a simple phone call, uh, a Zoom meeting, a Microsoft Teams video chat, uh, whatever it is that works. That first consultation is your first step in the process. And is there a what's the physicalness of your, of your first appointment when you sit down and all the forms and information? What do I need to bring with me when I come in? For the first appointment, it's generally just, you know, an informal conversation. So a lot of people will bring or have ready all their most recent bills and their pay stubs and their tax returns, and that's helpful. But even if you have nothing prepared, it can still just be a very productive meeting, understanding in general terms what you're facing and explaining, shedding some light on whether the options are available to you. Um, after you've had that meeting and you decided, okay, maybe one of these options does make sense to move forward, whether it's a bankruptcy or a proposal, uh, the trustee or the estate admin administrator is going to pass along to you an application form. So it's either someone you can fill in online or a fillable PDF or fill it in, you know, in pen and ink and drop it off at the office. But it's going to give us the information that we need to prepare the bankruptcy documents for your filing. Uh, if your situation is urgent, as in, you know, your wages are being seized, you get paid on Friday and it's Tuesday now, um, we can work very quickly. So if someone gave us a completed intake form with all the required information, in as little as 24 hours, we could have a filing ready to go, get that person the protection that they need and help them to start moving forward. Um, as soon as you've signed 
the bankruptcy documents. So you've given us the intake form back and you've signed the documents. That's when the process starts. And that's when you get that protection from your creditors. You only have to deal with the trustee. You no longer have to deal with anyone that you owe money to. Okay. Now, before we talk about some other sort of frequently asked questions to this insolvency trustee and and how the process works, if we're already talking about you and you feel like, okay, this is me, I need to take some action, at least I need to find out more, it's so easy to do. 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number. Sands-trustee.com is the website, and it's filled with great questions and answers if you need a bit more information. So, um, if we go, to, can we go to the part of, if I'm going to go ahead and file, if I'm going to file a bankruptcy, um, how does it affect my partner or spouse at this mm. point? That's a huge concern for so many individuals, Elaine. And um, it's often the case that, you know, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And a lot of people that I sit down with, they say, okay, I know if I file for bankruptcy, gee, my spouse is going to have to file also. Are there some that are going to be responsible for my debts? Um, and both of those are in the category of things that you think are so that just aren't. It's not the case at all that a spouse is impacted when one person files for bankruptcy. So if your spouse is not attached to any of your debts, so if you haven't co-signed on any debts, you haven't borrowed any money together, um, one person filing for bankruptcy is going to have literally zero impact on the other individual. Their credit rating is not going to take any hit. If they weren't responsible for the person's debts beforehand, I mean, they weren't a co-applicant, they hadn't signed to you know, be a guarantor or have a joint account, bankruptcy doesn't create any extra liability uh, for the other spouse. So sometimes that can be really important for couples to know uh, because couples can assume, okay, if one person has a debt, it means that both of us have that debt. And therefore, if the other person has some assets and wants to pay off the spouse's debt, they could choose to do so, but they should do so with eyes wide open, knowing that they had no obligation to do so and that debts are kept separate. Even if someone is married, there's nothing that makes the debt automatically joint. Okay. Um the other thing that I, I want you to mention, too, is is all the different ways that um, a licensed insolvency trustee really protects you as you go through your process and the whole family, not just your not just your spouse. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. When you're working with with a licensed insolvency trustee, you're dealing with the most qualified individual you could ever work with to deal with your financial situation. So there's only a thousand trustees in Canada. They're all licensed by the federal government and they have to pass a very rigorous course uh, of education, of professional requirements, of continued development uh, and a code of ethics and professional practice. So um, you've got remedies if you're dealing with a trustee. If you're not sure that something is going according to plan, there's industry Canada, there's a superintendent of bankruptcy and trustees are very conscious of wanting to do a good job and wanting to continue to be a trustee, of course. Um, so generally, if you're dealing with a trustee, things are going to be by the book, well-defined process. You're not going to have surprises along the way. Um, at Sands & Associates, we've been doing this for more than 30 years. We were founded in 1990, so we celebrated our 30th anniversary just a couple of years back now, looking towards 35. Um, and it's literally tens of thousands of individuals who felt supported, who've gotten a new start, a new lease on life by dealing with their debts working with us. And in, in closing out this segment, Blair, can you talk about some of the signs um, for someone that it may be the best idea at this point to t take a real serious look at per my personal finances uh, and then call you? Mm -hmm. You know, the simplest way to say it, Elaine, is if you think you have a debt problem, you probably do. Mm. If you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling stressed, you're worried about your debts, you're only making your minimum payments, you're not sleeping at night. Those are all the key, key hallmarks of someone who should have a conversation and figure out what they should do about their debts. 
Excellent. And I know it's so easy to do. And, and can you just talk a little bit about the ease of which somebody can come in and see you and sit down? Yeah, we're, we're seeing more people than ever before during the pandemic with a lot of people with just a ton of questions going on, you know, whether it's serve repayments or getting back to work and worry about their income being taken and now creditors being reactivated with their rights. Um, so it's very easy to meet with us. You just give us a call or, vi- or visit us online at sands-trustee.com. Often the same day we're setting up meetings. Again, things over the phone are virtually very easy to do. Um, you'll get your questions answered. You'll have someone that really cares and wants to understand and give you a better plan to work through your situation. That's great, Blair. I just want to throw out that website again, just in case you missed it. It's sands-trustee.com. And by going to the website, it's just filled with so many good questions and answers written in such an easy way to understand them. And it'll really give you a good idea uh, as, as to your next steps. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. This segment is all about really practical tips to tackle financial stress, if that's what you're feeling. Uh, And I'm sure feeling stressed about finances uh, can be paralyzing, Mm -hmm. depending on the magnitude of the debt or depending on what kind of person you are, even if it's a small amount. Yeah, paralyzing, all-consuming. We've mentioned that before as well. So what's the do you have sort of a list? What's the first thing that you would tell somebody uh, coming in the door who's feeling stressed about their financial situation? Yeah, I think, you know, people coming through the door feeling stressed are definitely the majority of the clients that we see at Sands & Associates because really nobody takes their debt problem lightly, or at least I haven't met many of them in my, you know, probably 13 years of being a trustee now. Um, so when people come in, they're pretty stressed. You know, the first thing I say is, okay, you've done the hardest thing now. You've reached out for help. So you can relax a little bit. You know you're around uh, people that are here to support you. And, you know, words are only so much. We need to demonstrate that in all of our meetings, which is what we try to do. But I think the first recommendation that I give to people when they come in is just to recognize and acknowledge that they are under stress, mm-hmm. that, you know, they're dealing with a lot in their financial situation. Um, so sometimes when I hear somebody just list out everything they're dealing with day to day, you know, all the payments that they're juggling around, um, you know, the salary that just isn't enough, the kids' extra expenses, the rent that's went up. And I look at them, I say, wow, you're carrying a lot of this, a lot of stress right now. And they're suddenly, yeah, you know, that's right. I didn't realize it, but I can feel it. So I think it's just to recognize and and acknowledge that you are dealing with stress. And, you know, if you're not sure if you're having a situation where there is financial stress, here's a couple of little tips that you can basically test. So, you know, if you're regularly short on money and you're relying on credit to meet your expenses. And you're talking, when you're talking about expenses, you're not talking about the the frivolous stuff. You're talking about the real rent, Mm -hmm. power, all of those things that we all have to pay for. On a monthly basis, you just find every month there's something that you don't have the cash for, you've got to put it on the credit card, you're relying on credit to meet your daily living expenses. That's a huge warning sign and a huge source of financial stress. Now, I would imagine uh, even if you're making your a month-to-month expenses, but not having uh, any left over to mm-hmm. put aside to actually not touch the next month, yeah. that would be pretty stressful for people. Yeah, that, that's a great segue, Elena. Yeah, a second, you know, really big flag is people being stressed that they don't have any savings. So we all know, you know, one of the great uh, maxims if you're going to be dealing with your personal finances is to have an emergency fund, you know, have six months of your fixed expenses socked away. Don't put it in any risky investments. You might need that cash. And then beyond that, you also should be saving for your retirement. 
and you should be taking advantage of your TFSA. And if your kids are school age, you should be doing an RESP. Just saying all this stuff starts to get me stressed. Exactly. While I'm doing, am I remembering all the right acronyms? Yeah. So you can imagine if you're someone that's, you know, they're not sure there's enough money to make it to the end of the month. And then you also have this extra anxiety that, oh my God, if I was in a tough situation, I don't have the emergency fund. And what about when my kids need money for tuition for the RESP? And what about my TFSA? I'm not taking advantage of it. So we can really feel by not having savings, the stress can compound that we're just not, um, you know, doing the best that we can for our finances. And sometimes savings isn't even part of somebody's consciousness in terms of, you know, needing or, or expecting or or, or uh, automatically putting money aside. It's like, that's a joke. Who could mm-hmm. who could possibly think that way? Yeah, that's and a luxury. Once we get through this, then I'm going to save. Exactly. Right? And mm-hmm. that's and that's part of the that's part of the cue that oh boy, you need to stop and take a look and and l- really look at the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I bet is it, no change, right? There's the, those the balance at the end of the month doesn't change. You're you're paying, and I always think of those darn credit cards oh, yeah. where it never where it never changes. It yep. just gets more. Yeah, that can be really stressful as well. So I have people bring in their credit card statements sometimes for a few months, and we look through them and say, okay, so you made the minimum payment this month. That was two hundred dollars. One hundred ninety dollars of that went to interest and charges. So you knocked it down ten dollars. So literally five percent of what you're doing is actually drawing down the problem, 95% is just getting consumed every month uh, in penalties and in in interest there. Uh, So if you're paying every month, but you don't see your balances go down, that can be another source of financial stress. Absolutely. Do you want to go on to the the next big idea uh, of, of actually planning a budget for yeah, folks because right? that seems like that would be a solution mm-hmm. uh, for some. Yeah, so the best solution that, that we can give where we start, and this is with every client, is we've got to figure out on a, on, you know, a single sheet of paper here, uh, what's the incoming, what's the outgoing, and is there an imbalance here? So you've got to put together a budget. So what we wanted to talk about today is how do you do that? Well, the most important things, you've got to put it in writing. If a budget is some you know nebulous idea in your head, you think this is your salary, you know this is your rent, and the rest just kind of slots in there, there, you don't have a budget, you've got a wish. It's not going to play out that way. So what you need to do every month is to really put things down in writing. Um, and you want to make sure that you're also doing a debt budget. So you want to start with a list of all the debts that you have, list out all the balances, the interest rates, the account numbers, and the amount you're required to pay each month. Um, and look at that beside your budget. Uh, a lot of people never do that. They have, you know, an idea in their head of, you know, their notional budget. Um, they just make the minimum payments when they can, but they've never actually connected the two and said, you know, what does my budget allow me to pay on my debts? And is that getting me ahead? And that practice of writing it down makes a huge difference. Exactly. So, you know, starting at the top of a budget, most important, we need to figure out the income. So, you know, add up all of your take-home pay, if it's pensions or if it's, um, you know, T4 salary income or self-employed, you need to know what you're starting from. Um, and then start by listing out your fixed expenses. So these are going to be the easy ones that you know every month, what's your rent, your car payment, uh, ICBC, different things like that. Uh, from there, you have to list out your variable expenses, so things you have some control over. So it might be entertainment, dining out, groceries, transportation, uh, different things like that. And then you need to see, is there money for debt repayment? And if you're already over your income when you've listed out your fixed income uh, and your variable expenses, you need to start looking kind of hard. Is there something we can do on these variable expenses? You know, not to say can we eat less, but you know, can we eat more frugally, for example, um, to see is there any money in that budget for debt repayment? 
Now, I bet that that can be a bit of a, a wake-up call for folks if they've never done it before, writing it all down and putting it into perspective, really, of, of what you've got. And that would help with the stress, I think, in the mm-hmm. long run, too, wouldn't it? Absolutely, because so much of a, of a source of stress is we're trying to hold too many things in our mind at the same time, and our mind just rebels. We can only hold a certain number of things in our short-term memory. So as soon as we're able to really put down in detail in a single sheet of paper, what's our income controlling, you know, for monthly monthly fluctuations, what's our fixed expenses, what are the expenses we have some control over, and then what can we dedicate to debt? Um, you know, we know we're in a hopeless situation if by the time we get to the bottom of the budget uh, to put money against our debt, we're already negative. We know at that point we need to make some changes. You know, conversely, um, if we're able to list down our fixed expenses, our variable expenses, and we've got lots of money left over for debt, well, then we can be strategic on how we deploy those funds. And you'll help me figure that out as well. Of course, yeah. So if you come into Sands and Associates, one of the first things we're going to look at is, you know, do you have the ability to get out of from under this under your own steam? So if we just do a budget for you, figure out here's how you prioritize your debt repayments, is that enough? In most cases, it's not, unfortunately, because a lot of the time these debts have accumulated, they're too significant. Uh, but in some cases, it's enough just to really be structured and make sure you're, you're tracing where your money's coming and going to. I think it's really important. You've got a really good list of things to remind people of. Um, that it This doesn't happen overnight. You don't get to fix it overnight. That's just not realistic. We yeah. can do a lot of things overnight. We can't do that. No, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's the old adage, you know, a problem didn't arise overnight. You've probably been dealing with this for years, so you can't expect an instant solution. But you can expect some instant relief that, and the feeling that you're dealing with something if you do take some steps forward. So it's really important. Be kind to yourself. You know, give yourself a break. Beating yourself up for bad financial decisions you made years ago that you're still dealing with, that doesn't serve anybody at this point. So be a bit kind to yourself, reach out for some professional help and start with the budget. And that's the key, right? You've already you've already taken that first enormous step by asking for some help. You've done the research, you've looked around, you can tell that now I'm ready to do this. And these guys, Sands and Associates, at any of their 17 offices, that's the best place to start. Uh, if you want to give them a call and set up your first free uh, consultation to get yourself out of debt, the 1-800 number, 661-3030. Go to their website. It's terrific. If you haven't seen it yet, sands-trustee.com. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.